This is the Radioactive Summer Break. I'm your host, Lara Jones. Tonight's a mashup of Radioactive, Songs of Summer, Meet the DJ. Richard Parks of I Don't Sound Like Nobody, Fridays from 1 to 3 a.m., sent over a great playlist that I'm going to share later in the hour, along with a conversation we had about why he loves early rock and roll. Tara Rollins of the Utah Housing Coalition has some things to say about the federal eviction moratorium that expired over the weekend. She's got resources for renters and homeowners to share. But first, I asked her for a pick for our Songs of Summer playlist. I really um, miss going to concerts. Um, I really wish I could, you know, get out there and see Richard Thompson outdoors. Um, I guess that's a big shout out to my husband, Dan Rollins. Since she left me to pick, we're going to go with one of my favorites. It's Bee's Wing off the Mirror Blue album. Richard Thompson, Songs of Summer on KRCL 90.9. You're listening to the Radioactive Summer Break on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. The federal moratorium on evictions expired over the weekend with no action by the Biden administration. To find out more and get your resources, I spoke with Tara Rollins, executive director at the Utah Housing Coalition, which promotes the increase of accessible and affordable housing throughout the state. A recent survey from an online company, FilterBuy, says 28.2% of Utah residents are at risk of eviction and foreclosure. Not to mention, this has been my worry, Tara, is the hedge funds of the world getting in on snapping up real estate, and particularly suburban real estate. Huge factors in the pandemic weighing on affordable housing in Utah. Absolutely. Let's attack the second thing first. Um, That is always a big worry. And um, we did see some of that, you know, back in the last recession. But I want to say that there is $60 million um, that that can help with foreclosure. And so the state is just waiting for um, approval of plans. And so other states are still on hold as well. But um, we're hoping to get that up and going um, pretty soon. And so we'll be doing some serious advertising uh, through the coalition about that fund. Um, because people need to um, be stable in their housing to be able to move forward on on this pandemic. It's only been a couple of days since the moratorium expired, the Biden administration not renewing it at this point. What are you hearing? Any concerns, your feelers out in the community for people at risk? Well, I think last week the numbers were high for filings, um, much higher than it has been per week. And that was, I, I wouldn't say that's a big surprise. But I will say that um, that last week I was on a call with the Apartment Association and they felt very comfortable with the fact that we had enough money in the state to help with um, rental um, expenses. And so if people are worried, you need to reach out to Rent Relief. Um, it is a state program and there's a portal where you can apply. And um, also landlords, anybody out there that um, they can also apply on behalf of their renter. So I do suspect that, you know, in anything, there's some bad actors that haven't been communicating with a landlord and, you know, that perhaps hasn't been paying their rent um, because they feel like, you know, this is, you know, the moratorium was still happening, but the bottom line is you still owe for that funding. And I mean, for that rental. And so I, you know, really 
hope that um, many people are accessing the help that need it. And so don't hesitate to reach out to a community action program statewide because they're also there to help you um, apply. And I understand that the state of Utah still has $150 million in CARES Act funds it has not spent. And the American Recovery Plan Act is also going to send hundreds of millions of dollars to the Beehive State. My experience for my brief stint working in government was you either spend it or you lose it. Do you feel that Utah is acting fast enough in dispersing its funds and getting it to the people that need it? Well, I think um, absolutely. Um, There's a a couple different hiccups along the way, but I would say um, Utah probably was one of the first states to get this money rolling out. We have many other states um, that have not. And so hence the moratorium being extended this last time. Um, I will say that we... um, you know, the one portal has been really important to have so we can track um, information. Um, the problem right now is that some of our community action programs are down people. They are unable to hire. And so if they if you're not fully staffed, these, these applications are not moving fast enough. Um, and so the other piece is that we have a lot of incomplete applications. And so we're trying to figure out why that is, whether or not they started to apply and then they you maybe got, you know, uh, an eviction notice or non-renewal of lease. And so people just leave. But the bottom line is most of the applications are just not complete. Um, and so if you're going to apply, make sure you look at the list of items that you need um, before you dive into it. Is there help? Are there counselors that can help people through these applications? Absolutely. There's there's help out there. One of the things that I really, really liked um, about what Salt, Salt Lake County did was there was a report that came out that showed um, disparity between evictions and um, zip codes that applied for um, rental assistance. And so we got right on top of that and started reaching out to um you know, agencies, as well as the county, you know, put an RFP out and has contracts with 21 really, you know, grassroots organizations that know their communities and started helping them, you know, get that application to the finish line. And so um, I'm really, you know, excited that, that they're doing that type of outreach because we've needed that for a very long time. Now, utahhousing.org has resources for renters and homeowners on this issue. Correct. And so if you go to our website, utahhousing.org, you'll be able to find a bunch of great information. So I always say, how do you rob Peter to pay Paul? Well, you know, in terms of if you're having a hard time paying your utilities, there's utility assistance, there's food assistance. I mean, so making sure that, you know, your rent, Eats first is so important to your stability. And so there's um, a lot of different resources, you know, that we have on our website. And also please dial 211 if you have a really, you know, particular question. Um, They're also there to help with resources. Now, coming up that later this month, you have your 25th annual housing conference. And I see all these topics on the agenda. Absolutely. We're really looking forward to our conference. Um, we are crossing our fingers that we're going to be able to still, you know, hold it. Um, in you person, know, you mean? In person. Yeah. <laughs> hold it in person. Um, because we, it, myself included, 
really is starved to um, see our members, see our partners. Um, you know, there's been a lot that's happened this year and, you know, not being able to be together um, has been tough um, to keep up with what's actually happening on the ground, um, especially when it comes to development. You know, in our conferences, you know, we have a, you know, we have a wide, you know, membership. And so we try to, you know, be, do beginners um, development, advanced development, homelessness, and rural and preservation. Um, so, you know, we're looking forward to having Diane Antle from the National um, Low Income Housing Coalition um, speak. Um, she'll be um, speaking about the new campaign housed and, you know, bringing us information about what's happening, you know, on the um, federal level in advocacy, as well as we also have HUD that will be here and really talking about the particulars of, you know, what their agenda is and, you know, how they, you know, what they're doing moving forward. And so I think it's, it is an exciting time because we've never seen so much money, you know, put into housing. I think the state also um, has received, well, I know, um, discretionary funds. And, you know, we're trying to, you know, advocate um, and educate the need uh, for really focusing that money on the lowest income. And so, you know, we throw around these jargons like 30% of AMI. What does that mean? Well, that's about $12 an hour. And so, you know, in order to be able to rent a place in, you know, Salt Lake, I mean, in um, Utah, it's $20 and 21 cents an hour. So, you know, you have to have a household that is making, or, you know, having two wage earners to really stay at the point where you only pay 30% of your income to housing. Another report I heard this morning driving in was the median house price is five $550,000. I mean, uh, it's crazy market we're in, and first-time homebuyers are getting rapidly priced out. This is something that isn't going to get better in the near term, right? No, it isn't. Um, we, it's it's such a hard, hard balance because, you know, housing has become such an investment vehicle, and as it was previously, but it just didn't creep as you know fast, you know, in terms of wages and rent or mortgages. And so, you know, we really have to take a good look at how are we going to maintain housing to be a deed restricted property. And maybe we can go in that fashion when it comes to um, first time home buyers is creating programs where they can get in with a larger down payment that, you know, is deed restricted. Um, what does that mean, deed restricted? What are you talking about? Deed restricted means, so like any, like you're seeing any affordable housing being built and it's being advertised as that, usually has a deed restriction saying it has to be affordable at that level for so many years. And so um, right now it's 50 years if it's a tax credit property. And, but what happens after that 50 years? Um, so we're trying to also preserve those properties that are expiring, um, which we have quite a few. Um, but when it goes into like a deed restriction, you know, if you're purchasing a home, basically, let's just use number that you buy the house for a hundred thousand, and fifty thousand of it is a down payment, um, and so this person is only going to be paying, you know, for the fifty thousand dollars that they actually. Um, loan, take out a loan for. 
And so, and then they sell it for, you know, 150, um, like five years from now. Well, the equity would be split between them and um, the down payment piece. So um, it's it's a good equation uh, for people um, because it's an investment not only on the money, but also for that person. Taking you into Salt Lake City housing politics, I'm sure you've seen the news stories about Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall announcing a competition for tiny home design, not to mention the city is now considering this tiny home village on Indiana Avenue with the Other Side Academy folks. This is an interesting proposition for a, a part of our population with literally no income. But I unfortunately also think it's the way of the future, smaller and smaller homes, less ownership, et cetera. And if home ownership has been that channel to that middle-class lifestyle as well as that middle-class job, what does that portend for our future? Well, I love the fact that they're being proactive. Um, I think, you know, other cities and have been able to get the tiny homes going a lot faster. But, you know, when you have administrations change and you have an earthquake and you have a pandemic, you know, some of the things take, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, I think that the, I love the competition piece. I think that will bring in some really nice um, designs. Um, I also love the fact that um, they're going to be doing this village. I think that um, they have been successful in other states. Um, a few years back, like three or four maybe, we actually had somebody come and speak about um, their experience in Detroit about how they put tiny homes on the ground for um, chronically homeless. And it was really a nice, nice piece. Well, and we seem to be okay with tiny homes if they're, you know, mother-in-law apartments or Airbnb rental units in the backyards of (laughs) homeowners on the east side. But the notion of tiny homes to help folks who are on the lower earning, lower end of the earning scale, it seems to be we have some tension there. There's some tension there. Um, how do you think we can resolve these kinds of really not in my backyard kind of conversations, Tara? Well, I think one of the things is we got to stop thinking about people like not in my backyard. These are our people. These are our family members. These are, you know, people that will come in the future that need a place to to, you know, hang their hat and be successful in the community. Um, and so if, I mean, think about like some of the houses, those, you know, smaller bungalows, you know, that were built, you know, um, that's what we need to go back to is start at homes and people need to adjust their, um, the thinking around that. And so when it comes to, you know, a smaller footprint, then you can put more footprints on that particular partial. And so, you know, I, I hope we can go back to that because, you know, our wages are not growing. Um, our jobs are growing in the lower wage sector. So when you think about um, $12 an hour, who is that? Or anybody up to $20 an hour? Um, that's a lot of our workforce. And, and because we depend so much on tourism, you know, we need to be starting to look at infrastructure that we can be putting into these areas like Moab. You know, there's been a lot of, you know, 
articles about that, you know, the hospital saying, well, we can't hire because there's no place for people to live and there's no future for them here to buy. So how do we build housing, you know, infrastructure around our tourist areas, St. George, Moab, um, you know, Park City um, and other places so they can be more aggressive because they're bringing in a lot of funding for the state. Um, and so I believe that if we have places where families can, you know, stay um, for a longer period of time, it's so much better for our future because the children are in the same school system. Tara Rollins of the Utah Housing Coalition. Check tonight's show notes for a link to the nonprofit and all of its resources for renters and homeowners, as well as details on UHC's upcoming housing conference. I'm Laura Jones, and this is the Radioactive Summer Break, a mix of community connection and music discovery. Our community co-hosts have the summer off, but I'm still here passing the microphone around the community. Coming up, meet the DJ, Richard Parks, host of I Don't Sound Like Nobody, Friday mornings from 1 to 3 a.m. right here on KRCL. He sent me over a couple of songs to get us going. He says this next song is the one the Beatles used for the opening to their song, Revolution. From 1954, Pee Wee Creighton with Do Unto Others on KRCL 90.9. And that's Hattabrook's Variety Bounce from 1948 on KRCL 90.9. Richard Parks picked that song. He says that Hatta is a solo piano player from the 40s, and he had one word to describe that song for me, look out. And ahead of that, it was due unto others from Pee Wee Creighton, the song that Richard Parks swears the Beatles used for their intro to Revolution. And now let's meet the DJ. Richard Parks, the host of I Don't Sound Like Nobody. Okay, we got to start where that comes from, the name of the show. And I have a sneaking suspicion it goes to Elvis. It does. So 1953, Elvis was looking for a way to get recorded. He knew he was good, but had no idea to, how to do it. And he was driving a truck. And one day he pulled up in front of Sun Records. And part of Sun Records was the Memphis Recording Service. Sun wasn't selling many records. So they, had to, they were recording funerals and weddings and anything. So Elvis went in and recorded a couple of songs. And on the way out, he stopped to talk to the receptionist, Marion Kiesker, and Elvis said to her, hey, if you know any bands, give me a call. And Marion said, well, who do you sound like? And Elvis said, I don't sound like nobody. And there it is. So where does your love for the music of the 50s, I'm guessing 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s come from? How wide is your genre? I mean, I'll go back... I just finished a book that says that the first rock and roll record was recorded in 1926. So I, I stumble back into the twenties sometimes, but a lot of post world war two R and B and a lot of fifties, there's about 300 songs that are fifties rock and roll songs. And we hear them all the time, but there's a whole lot of other stuff that nobody got to hear, just like any other era of music. There's stuff that people did not hear. So I'm playing the 300 and I'm dragging some other stuff out too. What made you want to be a DJ on KRCL? Radio saved my life. I mean, as a kid, there was no adult males who were talking to me. 
except the radio. So I used to listen to the radio all the time. I remember getting up at midnight to listen to R&B from the Trenton station with Jerry Blavitt, the geeter with the heater, the boss with the hot sauce. He's still on the air, by the way, on WXPN in Philadelphia. And, you know, listening to uh, Play by Play. And those people talked to me and the music talked to me. Let me know that whoever those artists were, they were thinking about things the same way I was. And it was good to know that. And KRCL is just... Um, I came here in 1979, and I don't know if I would have stayed without KRCL. It's been a uh, continual radio lifeline for me. Why? What about community radio does it for you, and especially KRCL? Well, I remember the uh, the week before I was going to do my first show, I, you know, I, I'm pacing around the studio, and a bunch of people stopped to me and said, look, if you make a mistake, so what? I mean, it was kind of relaxed. I can play what I want. I mean, I don't want to offend anyone. I mean, you have to sift through the 40s and 50s music. There's, you know, misogyny and abuse and that kind of thing. So I have to cut that stuff out. Is that interesting coming to terms with considering, you know, you said you grew up, you felt like these were grown men on the radio talking to you. And now here in 2021, going back and looking at the genre going, hmm, some of that hasn't aged well. Yeah, it hasn't. I mean, it, it has a social justice component to it. The post-World War II, I always want to say post-war, but people might think, well, what was he talking about? There's been so many. You know, after World War II till about 1955, Rhythm and Blues by Black artists did not get played on the radio. There was no place, very few places for those artists to play. No one would record them because their stuff didn't sell because it didn't get played on the radio. So there's all of those people who um, I'm just going to, you know, give them a little airtime, uh, let them go out into the ether. And if they're listening in other solar systems, well, they're getting R&B. I mean, it, when I started, I, I thought that that R&B post-World War II was rock and roll precursors, but it's not, it's rock and roll. It's pure rock and roll. And we missed all that. Way to go, segregation and racism. We missed it. So tell me something about you, Richard, that I don't know. And admittedly, that's quite a lot because what I know, I hear through your radio show and when you come out and help uh, at KRCL events, pre-COVID that is, or you answer phones during Radiothon, pre-COVID that is. During the uh, pandemic, I was doing live stream play-by-play -play of high school sports. I did girls basketball and girls lacrosse. I don't know if that surprises you. Well, how'd you get into that? Gianni, the sometimes genial host of the Dirty Boulevard. Yes. Yeah, he, he's coaching high school basketball, and he asked me to do play-by-play, -play, and I did that. And everybody liked it, which, you know, is shocking. But I, I don't know, I, I, when I watch sports on TV, I kind of do play-by-play -play in my head and I would ask people, well, don't you do that too? And people would go, no, I don't do that. So I've been doing play-by-play -play in my head for a long time. Tell me about a little bit about your life, what you've done for a living over the years. I'm a recovering teacher. I taught special ed for a while. Um, 
ran educational programs for IHC for kids, substance abuse and eating disordered kids. Um, I worked for the county. I ran AmeriCorps programs for Salt Lake County for like 17 years. Um, yeah. It sounds, it sounds like a professional life of service, which dovetails with volunteering for KRCL. There seems to be a connection there, perhaps. Oh, without, without question. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, if, if you want to make an impact where impact needs to be made, a lot of times you're not going to get paid for that. And if you are getting paid, you're not getting paid much. So, um, yeah, KRCL connects to all of that. Well, let's get a couple of songs. You know, we're doing songs this summer where we ask folks to share something that they love and dedicate it to the community. I know you got two or three lined up that we can do here. Right. Um, One Summer Night, the Dan Lears and the old doo-wop stuff. Doo-wop is if barbershop quartet music had a child with gospel music, it'd be doo-wop. So the Dan Lears. All right. Who do you want to send that out to? Uh, Everybody who thinks something's going to happen differently in the summer in terms of romance. Right here on KRCL 90.9. Meet the DJ with Richard Parks. I don't sound like nobody. And what time is that again on the on the dial there? One to three a.m. each and every Friday morning. (laughs) One summer night we fell in love one summer night i held you tight you and i under the so i know we've got two more songs at least to share from richard parks let's get some intros what's this next one here richard Moonlight Cocktails, The Rivieras, couple of jiggers of moonlight and add a star. Yeah, that's, yeah. A couple of jiggers of moonlight and add a star. You are in the blue of the June night and one You know, when I think of 50s music, I think of um, how the movie just went out of my head, but the soundtrack had a lot of Wolfman Jack in it. American Graffiti. Thank you. (laughs) You know, Dazed and Confused is more my era, but uh, very much based on American Graffiti, right? It is. Dazed and Confused is great. So uh, do you have some uh, DJ idols? Oh, yeah. I I mentioned Jerry Blavitt, who... uh convinced us that he loved what he was playing. And then there was High Lit in Philadelphia. He was, you know, six to 10 every night. Um, He looked at it like he was saving people by playing the music. And as far as I was concerned, that's what he was doing. That's Richard Parks, host of I Don't Sound Like Nobody. Early Friday mornings, 1 to 3 a.m., right here on KRCL. You can always catch up on the last two weeks of his show, On Demand. Just hit the Program Guide tab on our website, krcl.org. And that's Meet the DJ. I'm Laura Jones, and coming up at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now!
Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor and the Late Night Lowdown at 10.30, and Super Sounds with Chovy starts at 1. I'm going to get on out of here with a couple more from Richard Park's very own Songs of Summer playlist that he sent over from Meet the DJ. This is Gary U.S. Bond's School is Out for a couple more weeks, kids. Songs of Summer meets the DJ on the radioactive Summer Break. Have a great night, everybody. How one, how two, how one, two, three, four. No more books and studies. Now I can stay out late with my bud.